Good morning, everyone. If you're wondering who John Doherty is, well, I'm an elder in Scrabble Presbyterian Church, so greetings from Newtonards. For the last 16 years, I've been General Secretary of the Bible Society, and I have driven almost every day of the week in those 16 years up and down past this church. So after speaking in 634 different churches, I've come to Orangefield for the first time. So it's really lovely to be here. And I hope that uh, you will find something to encourage you in what I share with you in the next few minutes. I was wondering, and I meant to ask Margaret why she invited me. And here's maybe a possible explanation. The best kept secret in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland In 2009, at the General Assembly, the Assembly decided to recognize four agencies as specialist service agencies, or SSAs, because we do things that the church recognizes need doing, but hasn't the capacity or uh, expertise to do it. And that's to get scripture into people's hands, just as Margaret was describing So they recognized Wycliffe Bible translators who translate scripture. They recognized the Bible Society who translate scripture and distribute it. And they recognized Fibre Radio and Sat7 who broadcast it. Four specialist service agencies. Now you can go home and tell someone a secret that they didn't know. And I bet you didn't either. Best kept secret. Because I haven't been here before, I'm assuming many of you have very little idea what the Bible Society is about. So my good friends who do understand technology are going to let you have a 63-second guide to Bible Society. Look out for the Chinese woman holding their new Bibles with delight, the translation team, the people who are holding a little, what looks like a transistor radio, a proclaimer because they hear scripture being read to them, because they cannot read. The kids in Ghana, one of some of the one million kids who got a Bible through a program we supported, and much more. 63 seconds, watch out. So imagine there are actually 148 Bible societies standing up here this morning. All the general secretaries lined, representing work in 200 countries. And uh, it's been such a privilege these last years to be a part of that. And Northern Ireland, believe it or not, is, I think, the 12th largest Bible society in the world. Not because we've got 3.6 staff, but we're the 12th largest contributor of funds. And this year we're supporting 52 countries. So it's a wonderful ministry, and I'm delighted to have an opportunity to share with you about it. Happily today, I've remembered to bring my sermon with me. I've been on occasions in churches where I turned up with a bit of paper and it was blank. My heart must be good. We need to start at what's the most important part of the service. We have to start with Scripture. And I'm going to invite you to read 
uh, with me, 2 Kings chapter 22. Now, I don't know if you want to do it by following it on the screen or get the book in your hand. Remember, we are one of the very few countries in the world where you can reach out under your chair and put your hand on a Bible. It's a very rare thing. 2 Kings 22. And our theme today is Bible poverty. And it's not just what you might think, I hope. Bible poverty. Let's just read this together. The Word of God. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest and make him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Make them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And make these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also, make them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are acting faithfully. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphiah the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Asiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in the book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the works, the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And we thank God for this reading from his word. Bible poverty. 
Bible poverty. You might think that I'm going to talk to you about the people in the world who are hungry, who have no food on the table, barely clothes to wear, no money to send their kids to school. And in a sense, I will. But I want us to think about Bible poverty as not just those people who maybe have no scripture of any kind in their language, or maybe have a fragment, a gospel, maybe if they're fortunate, a New Testament. But if Ricky Ferguson or John Hamilton was here from Wycliffe, they'd be telling you too. There are only 500-odd languages in the world today with a complete Bible out of 7,000. And that is a great shame and disgrace on us. I want you to see some situations that are mirrored in the scripture that we've read. Who was this young man, Josiah? The books of Chronicles and Kings are a litany of kings who literally, if they were ever on the rails, went off piste. A litany of people who led the people in a selfish and quite often evil way. And suddenly this eight-year-old is put on the throne and he's something different. And how can that be? Well, there's a clue in the text, I think. Josiah was eight years old. His mother's name was Jedidah. And they go on to tell who her father was. Something that isn't common in the Bible. A woman was marginal. But here they're talking about her family tree. I wonder, is this mother someone who's brought the child up in a way that mothers should? And this young man keeps going straight. And he realizes that the temple has got run down and it needs repaired. And he organizes them to use the resources that they have, the congregational committee, if you like, to get the temple fixed up. But here is the crucial part of the story. They're doing a tidy up in the temple. And the priest finds a book. We found the book. Now, can you imagine Jensen Button forgetting where he's parked his Formula One Grand Prix racing car? The priest has lost sight of scripture to the extent that he forgotten or it was never told that they had the Torah the five books of the first five books of the Old Testament in the temple and being the leader he is he reckons I'm not going to get into trouble he gets Shaphan to tell the king and the king is told they find this book and the king's reaction was of horror he tore his robes in disgrace and if you read in uh, Second Chronicles, alternative uh, accounts of this. There were times when they brought, under Josiah's leadership, scripture out into the public place, read it to the people, who of course were all illiterate, and they wept. They wept when they heard the word of God because they knew instinctively this was the word they needed to obey. They were Bible poor. 
They didn't even know the Bible existed in the sense as it existed in those days on scrolls. What about us? What about us? How rich are we in biblical terms? A few years ago, I put a questionnaire on our website for churches to download. And the idea was that a select vestry, a leaders' council, a Kirk session would take that, print it off, A4 sheet, eight questions, put it around the pews of the chairs on a Sunday morning, and maybe when the kids were going off out to crumbs and whatever it was called, salt and crumbs, a few pens and take the boxes. I haven't looked recently. Last time I looked, about 500 downloads. So I don't know how, how quite often it's been used. First question was dead easy. What's your favorite translation of the Bible? And most of the options were there. Take. This is all anonymous, of course. Age range? Yes. Gender? Yes. No names. Anonymous. Second question. The real killer. Have you read at least one chapter of the Bible in the past week? I have not spoken to a church who used that questionnaire where anything other than the majority of people were saying, no, I haven't. And of course there were options in the questionnaire to try to explain or justify this. And there were some positive ideas as well as to what people could do to remedy it. One minister rang me and said, uh, I want to send you the questionnaires in. No, no, I said, you don't need to do that. The idea was that you would analyze them and your leadership would respond to what you find. No, no, he says, I need to send them to you. There's been such a row down here because I've asked people if they read the Bible. Are we Bible rich? You have no idea how long it can take for people to get scripture in their own language. There's a slide here from Togo. And if you go outside, I think I've brought half a dozen copies of the magazine. It's a cover picture. A woman who presents the X Factor on television in Togo is holding up the Mina Bible. You'll remember the name of the Bible, of course, though it's spelled M-I-N-A. Just think of Balamina, and you've got it. The Mina Bible. Estelle, who's the General Secretary of the Bible Study in Togo, speaks Mina. This picture was taken in December 14. A woman in her 40s, Estelle, has spent all of her life having to read the Bible in French, her second language. Imagine that, if John Doherty had to read the Bible in French. I only did it to a level. People have to wait so long to get the Bible. And let's look at this slide from the Democratic Republic of Congo. A translation team working on this Bible, the Lendu Bible. 34 years. Why? Why? Well, they have things called civil wars. 
People run for their lives, abandon their work. All kinds of practical difficulties. And even it took a year from the completion of the checking to get the typesetting, the checking of the typesetting, and the printing, and the money to do it. And guess who provided the money to print the first 10,000 Bibles? Little Northern Ireland. Look at it afterwards. And sadly, one of the guys in that photograph, the translation coordinator, I'm not sure which guy, died before he could get his hands on a copy. And this Bible, next slide, is the Allure Bible, also from Democratic Republic of Congo. Now it's a small language group. Lendu, two and a half million speakers. It's more than Northern Ireland. Allure, half of Northern Ireland, 800,000. Again, 34 years to get that work done. These people must think that we have abandoned them, that we have forgotten about them, in the sense that we have left the book in the temple because we're okay. We've got ours. I can show you translations of the Bible in English in over 40 different versions. A few years ago, I looked up a catalog and discovered over 1,800 editions of the NIV. It's criminal. We spend our resources on ourselves while people want for a scrap of scripture. In Egypt, my colleague Ramez Atala is currently working on the Van Gogh, uh, dear, dear, the new Van Dyke Arabic study Bible. Population estimated maybe 206 million readers. There's 17 years into that project. When they produced the New Testament edition in 2006, it was sold out in a fortnight. The hunger that is out there is hard to quantify. Just this week, if we move on to the next slide, we've got an exhibition going on in Bahrain. It's actually on at this moment. In that picture in the middle is Herer Jebijan, my General Secretary colleague. And uh, he sent me this picture on Wednesday as he set up this exhibition. 200, sorry, 317 publishers from 20 different countries People coming in from all the Arab uh, states in surrounding Bahrain. Many people coming from Saudi Arabia. And the Bible Society is the one single Christian presence. And they're expecting to shift thousands of scriptures at that exhibition. Let's just look at the next slide and what he said. Can I read it to you if you can't read it? These are his words from Herer. Around 317 publishers and bookshops from 20 different countries are taking part in the 17th International Book Fair in Bahrain. More than 20 religious publishers of stands, but the Bible Society 
is the only Christian presence. It is the first time that the Bible Society in the Gulf was given permission to participate in the book fair. And it has really been a great opportunity. Something to pray for, and we will when I finish. Something that is an answer to prayer. There are Bible studies right across the Middle East. There are three in Israel and the Palestinian territories. So even Arab Israelis, Palestinians and Israelis can have a resource to access scripture. And we've been putting uh, scriptures into the former Soviet republics. There is now a Bible study in every one of the countries that used to make up the Soviet Union. And last year we started to put Bibles into Georgia. And you can see here a new prison ministry that started there. For the first time they got permission to take Georgian and Russian scriptures to prisoners. In 2015, the first time. And we provided the scriptures for them to carry in. And prisoners locked up 23 hours a day in their cell now have a Bible to study. And the response has been amazing. The next picture was taken by a former moderator. The Reverend Dr. Rob Craig was in uh, Gujarat in India in 2014. And some of you may know that 2014-15 Presbyterian Youth and Children's Project was to support the provision of Bibles to orphans in India. And Rob got to hand out these Bibles to the kids. And the smiles were the way, as wide as a door. When the church bell rang for Sunday worship, the kids shrieked with delight because they could take their Bible to church and open it and read it. And we're talking about orphans living in, I suppose, something the size of what we would call a temporary school classroom. 50 of them eating, cooking, sleeping, washing, dressing, studying in a temporary classroom. So when someone came and presented them with a Bible of their own, wow, what a reaction. And the kids from across the world in Cuba, this is a Sunday school. The only thing is, if you look very carefully, you'll not find a Bible. The Cuba regime of Fidel Castro could not trade with the world. There was no foreign currency. They could never bring any Bibles into the country. And in any case, weren't allowed. But my colleague, uh, who runs the Biblical Commission in, in uh, Bible study in Cuba, uh, did a survey. And he asked all the churches in Cuba how many Bibles would they need? And he stopped counting at 960,000. So Bernd in Norway, Ted in Canada, Joyce in the Netherlands and I got together and we said, let's make this a million and let's push to get a million Bibles into, into Cuba. Raul Castro took over. He's much more laid back. He now talks to people like the President of the United States. 
And we can now ship Bibles from South Korea, where our Bible study there prints them, into Cuba with no hindrance whatsoever. You know what? We're halfway there, folks. We've got half a million Bibles into an island where people used to have maybe one Bible to a church. On the table outside, you'll see a little prayer card for Cuba and a photograph of a typical mildewed Bible. These high-quality books, and these were printed by the Bible study of South Korea as well, will last and last and last in Cuba. And in Africa, we provide Bibles in some of the most horrendous situations. In South Korea, sorry, in South Sudan, they've, you, you know the history, I needn't take time to give it to you. But Edward Kajivora, my colleague there, has got a trauma healing project going. Trauma healing. You know what? We should send our first and deputy first minister to South Sudan. Because these people are talking to each other about the hurts that have been caused to them, about the mutilations, about the killings, about the wounding. People are coming together to talk about these things and are being taught from scripture about forgiveness. And Edward is giving them a gift of a Bible that we've provided for them. So there are all sorts of situations. And of course, in China, we've come to a unique arrangement whereby we provide those big bales of paper. They're about the size of a a round bale of silage. Cost about 495 pounds. And out of them, there comes 630 of these. That's value. But what it means is the Chinese government is encouraging us to print them because this is going to be the single biggest thing to improve literacy in China, to get people reading a book. They don't care if it's a Bino. But they're happy that we will print this and distribute it through 60 distribution depots. I bought this one in Shanghai a lot of years ago, 58 pence, because the Bible study in Northern Ireland and other Bible studies provided the paper out of those bills. We're somewhere between 12 and 15 million Bibles printed every year. I'm getting nearly finished. What about Northern Ireland? What about Northern Ireland? There's three stories here. The book on the left is the French cover of a book that we got for Rodney Cameron, the Presbyterian chaplain in McGabry. 200 copies of a book of Bible studies called, well, you know your French, Words of Freedom. Those were done in January. Book in the middle, and you'll see it outside in both the English and the Arabic edition, is for migrants, people on the move. Northern Ireland helped develop that in 2008. God was ahead of us because he knew in 2015 there'd be hundreds of thousands of people moving across Europe and they've been given this book in Arabic and Farsi and other languages. You can see them outside. And the one on the right just arrived. We've bought 400 copies of the Polish New Testament alongside the English Standard Version. So Poles who've come to live and work here can read scripture in their own language and in the language that they're trying to learn. 
Quite a few of them have gone out the door already. But the thing I want to leave with you today is the power of the Bible. When Josiah read, or rather heard it read to him, he was probably illiterate too. He was deeply disturbed. The next slide is a reminder that we need to read scripture to our kids. We printed 40,000 of these to be distributed to primary schools through the Amazing Journey Storytelling Project. It's been going now 15 years. 200,000 odd scriptures have gone out through that. We need to put people in front of scripture. Next, here's a picture from Bangor. We invited my colleague who runs a Bible study in Albania, Alton Hussey, and his wife, Manuela, and they came, oh, I think it's three years ago, four years ago. There's a story here. When Alton was in his early 20s, he left Albania as a refugee because the president, Hoxta, was trying to destroy the country, make it the first atheistic country in the world. He put priests into barrels, rolled them off cliffs to their death, wiped out the church, almost. And many people fled the country. Alton got out illegally, got to Austria, got to a soup kitchen. And one night when they're giving him soup and coffee, they find out he's Albanian. So they give him an Albanian New Testament. we would say in Northern Ireland, he devoured it. He started reading in Matthew, read all the way through the Revelation. When he had finished, he started reading it again. And he heard the call of Jesus Christ to tell him he had to go back to Albania. I don't know how he got back. He had no papers. Ironically, he got a job in the Swiss embassy issuing visas. God's got a sense of humor, you know. Eventually, he got a job in the Bible Society. Eventually, he became the general secretary. Three years ago, I think he was ordained as an evangelical church pastor. How he does the two things, don't know. But what's wonderful about this story is Alton's name. Who's he? He's a Muslim. He turned to Christ because someone put a New Testament in his hand. And since 2007, we've been helping him to print and distribute New Testaments so that others can come to Christ. We provide scripture in many shapes and forms. I can remember a thousand of these mega voices going to Algeria, 3,000, those were to new Christians by the way, 3,000 to illiterate people in Egypt, 3,000 to blind people in the Philippines because it's the most wonderful device. I've put them in the hospice here and this is... Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. His mother's name was Jedida, daughter of Adiah. She was from Boscup. I love that because David Suchet, Inspector Poirot, 
is a Christian. And he asked, having recorded this in 1984, could he do it again with the new text from 2011? Best voice I've heard. For people who are elderly and struggling to read large print, wonderful. Solar-powered, so if you live outside Northern Ireland. (laughs) But the beauty of technology is in this slide. How many of you have got a Bible on your phone? Come on, hands up. Wonderful. You may not realize it, but you're using the Bible Society app, version, And the figures on that slide are out of date. I wrote them down on Friday. You can now get it in 1,267 versions, in 920 languages, and 218.5 million downloads so far. Not just in Northern Ireland, in Saudi Arabia, in Algeria, in Libya, in Iraq, in Iran, all over the world. It's completely free. And I think this card, and you can pick one up today, is your gift to someone. Because you can go into a chip shop, I do it frequently, and if there's a phone lying about, or someone's got one in their hand, I'll say to them, you've got a phone, do you know you can get the Bible on that for free? And you've just started a conversation. Because I want to show you finally this question. Who are the Bible poor? I think we are among them. We are rich in our physical resources. As I say, I carry, I think, 20 translations on my phone. And I'm happy to show you your version at work if you're not familiar with it. But we're so poor in other ways. And we're so poor in our ability to share our faith. I'll give you an example. Ramez Atala, from the Bible study in Egypt, came to Northern Ireland with his wife, Rebecca. Now, I'm over my time. But let's be quick. Saturday morning, she says to me, John, I don't need thrift shops in Belfast. I need a coat. I'm going to Aberdeen. You don't do coats in Egypt when it's 40 centigrade. So we got her to Bradbury Place, where she went. Ramaz and I went off, came back. Big smile on her face. Got a coat. She did. Eight pounds. Terrific. That wasn't what pleased her. She's in the shop trying on a coat. And there's another woman who's doing the same thing. So when Rebecca gets herself sorted out, she goes over to this woman and she says, can I give you a hand on with that? Or whatever you say in Egypt. But that's what we were saying. Can I give you a hand on with that? And they tried on, I don't know how many coats. But the woman said, finally, I think I'll take this one. And Rebecca said, praise the Lord. The woman said, you're a Christian. Rebecca says, yes, I'm from Egypt. I'm here with my husband. And the woman says, I'm from Kuwait. I'm here with my husband. But my two sons are back home. I miss them. And Rebecca said, my sons, one of them's in Canada. They had a conversation. At the end of it, Rebecca put her hand in her handbag and brought out a gospel of John in Arabic that she never goes out of the house without. And she gave it to the woman. 
How hard was that? How hard was that? To start a conversation. You don't need a soapbox. You don't need a megaphone. You just need a, how are you doing? Can I help you with that? That is where we become Bible rich. And we share the faith that we have and the access to God's word that we enjoy with people in this country who know nothing about Jesus other than believing that Jesus is just one of a choice of swear words. That's your task. If you want to walk with us in this mission, I invite you. There's a train leaving at half past eight tomorrow morning. Not actually a train, it's an email. 8.30 in the morning, we're sending out our fortnightly prayer topics. Three of them. I'll send them to any inbox because I've given you today a card for your email address. If you want to give it to me, I'll be delighted to make sure you receive that email once a fortnight. And by the way, if you're wondering why this young man from Uganda is smiling, it's because he's blind and we've given him Braille. He can now read the Bible for himself. Who are the Bible poor?